And we're back. It's the first Consume This of 2023. You're with me, Sophie Richardson, again for the second instalment of our health mini-series. To kick this episode off, we're going back to one of the last big news stories of 2022. A world first which is set to change the consumer health landscape in Aotearoa forever. This bill will create generational change and it'll leave a legacy of better health for our youth. There is no good reason to allow a product to be sold that kills half the people that use it. That's Associate Minister of Health Dr Aisha Verrill speaking at the reading. On the 13th of December last year, the Smoke-Free Environments and Regulated Products Smoke Tobacco Amendment Bill passed its third reading in Parliament and became law. The ayes are 76, the noes are 43, the motion is agreed to. The new law makes it illegal for people born in 2009 onwards to purchase cigarettes or tobacco. It achieves that by raising the minimum age of purchase every year to one year older than they actually are. So, if we zoom forwards to 2050, your ID will need to peg you at 42 or over, but all those people born 2009 and onwards will still be too young because they'll be 41. And even if you did want to buy a pack of cigarettes, it'd be really hard to find them because the new law also aims to reduce the number of stores that can sell cigarettes and tobacco. Currently, there's over 8,000, but the aim is to reduce that to just 500 nationwide. It will save thousands of lives and billions for the future health system. The idea is if you're already a smoker, you'll be able to keep purchasing cigarettes whilst preventing new generations from ever starting. And that's mainly because cigarettes are incredibly addictive. We can't just ban them outright and expect existing smokers to just stop. That would be pretty much impossible. But, at the same time, most current smokers picked up the habit in their youth, and crucially, they regret ever starting. So, if we can stop people smoking when they're younger, that should lead to a huge generational shift, right? Although, historically, outright bans on drugs and alcohol haven't exactly gone well for us. Prohibition in the 20s led to speakeasies, and the increase in cigarette tax in New Zealand is seeing a huge rise in black market imports. But at the same time, all of this is the culmination of decades of work from public health experts and the government. We have some of the strongest smoking laws in the world which makes what we're about to discuss a bit baffling. Vaping. Over the last few years, we've become accustomed to seeing and smelling the long white clouds drifting down our high streets. The smells of cotton candy and watermelon just filling our nostrils and taking over the designated smoking areas. It feels like vaping is everywhere. But as we'll discover, Aotearoa is an anomaly. It's not like this in other countries, and if we go back in time a few years, we discover there is a big reason for that. Until relatively recently, vapes existed in a grey area of the law. It sounds hard to believe in retrospect, but essentially no one was really sure whether vapes and related products were covered by our existing tobacco regulation or not. The WHO doesn't define e-cigarettes as a tobacco product. This is long-time public health analyst Candice Bagnall. 
That's the first thing that we probably didn't realise. I think a lot of assumptions were made that e-cigarettes were tobacco products because they contain nicotine, but that isn't actually how they're defined. And because of that, because of the WHO's decision, they basically said to countries, you can define it as a tobacco product or not. It's your call. This grey area became black and white four years ago. Tobacco company Philip Morris is facing charges laid by the Ministry of Health over a new battery-powered tobacco product. Philip Morris was selling a product called Heats. It was basically a type of e-cigarette that worked by heating tobacco instead of burning it. As far as the Ministry of Health was concerned, Heats were illegal. Philip Morris, on the other hand, well, they weren't so sure. And Philip Morris won. And as a result of that, we everybody realised that we didn't have any proper regulations for these new products. The ramifications of that didn't just affect their admittedly slightly niche heats product. The ruling also applied to the entire vape market. It left us, unlike our Aussie counterparts and most other OECD countries, with a vaping free-for-all. It was suddenly glaringly obvious that there were no age restrictions or rules around advertising and marketing. So that resulted in a whole process of the Ministry of Health taking action to close that gap. But the regulations took a couple of years. So in that time, the industry had a free reign and they marketed the products very aggressively to young people. They did the usual stuff that they used to do with tobacco taking products to music festivals that youth went to, that sort of thing, and giving away the products and try this, it's fun, it's harmless, whatever. They could say what, pretty much what they liked. And they had arrangements with youth radio stations whereby the products were given away free if people guessed songs and all of that kind of stuff. So it was, it was pretty aggressive and full on. And you could really see the difference between before and after. We had a very aggressive industry and no way of of stopping them until we had the regulations in place. Those regulations finally did come into effect in November 2020, instantly cutting off the industry's ability to openly advertise, sell products to minors and distribute free samples. I mean, come on guys. But by then, vaping had spread rapidly. The marketing free-for-all had ensured that the sweet smell of watermelon and sickly caramel was everywhere. And as Candace just pointed out, a lot of that marketing was targeted specifically at young people. Looking at the packaging and the flavours, it kind of feels like it still is. I mean, anyone over 18 up for a peach gummy candy vape? Yeah, I thought not. So... In this episode of Consume This, we're investigating youth vaping. Have we inadvertently created a generation of young people addicted to vaping? People who, thanks to our smoke-free education programs, were increasingly unlikely to become smokers? And crucially, if we have, does it matter? Has it undone the benefits of that smoke-free work, or is it really no big deal? To unpack all of that, Let's start on the ground. The first time I vaped was probably about ten and a half. This is Ollie. He's from the Coromandel. We've changed his name for the story because despite vaping for over five years, 
he's still only 17. Now look, whilst it was technically legal then to be marketing and selling vape products to a 10-year-old, in reality, I don't think that was really happening. So how did our not-quite-11-year-old Ollie get into vaping? Honestly, it's your classic cliché. Um, so, to make it short and sweet, I was about 10 or 11 years old, riding my scooter at the skate park, and there were some kids on this bench, and they had, um, like, these little pens, thought, thought nothing of it at first, um, and then they said, oh, you want to try this? And my exact words were, nah, vapes for gays. Despite the slightly homophobic reasoning from Ollie, the first time around, he trusted his instincts. Um, and then I went away, and then I was watching them, and I was like, that's more and more appealing and then I see them holding it like a cigarette. They were like, oh, are you sure? I'm like, oh, I've sort of been warned about cigarettes. So the first time around, Ollie turned them down. But he kept seeing them around the skate park. I admired their, how cool they looked, you know? They were the popular kids. Everyone's looking at them. They're the king of the skate park. They have their strut on, they have their walks, they have their how they would dress. They're blowing smoke out, well, vapor out of their mouth. And they just looked, they just looked like they knew that they were on top. The coolest people I had ever seen. Like, that sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I thought they were the shit. As we spoke to Ollie, it became clear that he's never been the cool kid in his crowd. At times, he struggled to make friends. And in school, he didn't quite fit in. At least not in the ways he wanted to. And at the skate park, well, in his own words, he was one of the best scooter riders in the Coromandel, but also a bit of a nerd. Against that backdrop, it's easy to see why being invited into what he saw as the cool, older crowd was so appealing. It satisfied a desire we all hold to be accepted and included. This kind of longing for popularity and status is something that pops up a lot through our conversation. Eventually, vaping became his primary way of connecting with other people. We'll hear more about that soon. But that journey kicked off here, at the skate park, when around a week later, he changed his mind and decided to give vaping a go. Obviously, I coughed my lungs out, because never, never vaped before. But he stuck with it hanging out with his new friends and continuing to share their vapes. It's not very COVID safe. And um, it sort of became smoother and easier to vape. And I just just couldn't really stop. It, it feels like you're hooked into it as soon as you start and you get this feeling of happiness, sort of like a buzz. It's, and it, it's you think, oh, I can stop when I want, but no, you can't. Because the, your first times and your initial times of vaping, you'll feel like you're on top of the world. You'll feel so relaxed out. Um, but it, it, it hooks you, it, and there's no doubt about it. Despite being one of the best scooter riders in the Coromandel, and now I don't know much about competitive scootering, but my producer Tom did look at his TikTok and he said he can actually do some impressive tricks. But despite all that, the skate park stopped being somewhere he'd go to practice. It took on a different importance to him. I was physically going to the skate park just to vape, because it was out of sight of every parent that knew me and had sort of a rele- escape. And then I started to rely on it a bit. 
and when I say reliant, I mean I couldn't really go an hour without inhaling some sort of nicotine substance. And then I touched cigarettes, hated it, but then somehow always found a way to vape. Ollie clearly developed a vaping habit very young. But the thing that surprised me when I started researching this episode is that he's not unusual. None of the researchers, teachers or healthcare workers that we spoke to for this episode were shocked when I shared his story with them. Mostly, they gave kind of a knowing look and replied that they knew of many other similar cases. But how does that compare to what we're seeing in other countries? Our public health researcher, Candice Bagnell, has been busy working on this. I've been working on comparing New Zealand youth vaping prevalence with other countries. The easiest way to compare that data is through regular vaping, which is sometimes called current in other countries. And there is a lot of variation there, which makes it very difficult to compare the data. But even so, it's really obvious that New Zealand's youth vaping rates are are much higher than comparable countries like Australia and the UK, much higher. In 2021, our regular vaping rate in year 10 students was 20%, which is really high. And compared with, for example, the UK, which was around 8%. And in Australia, it's understandably a lot lower because access is much harder in Australia. The reason it's harder to access in Australia is because over there, to purchase a nicotine vape, you need a prescription. A prescription which is only available to existing smokers. That's a system that Candice and various other public health experts we spoke to are in favour of implementing here. Interestingly, our producer Tom was in Australia recently and was told by several people They get around the rules by ordering their vapes online from stores based here in Aotearoa. Candice is still working on her research paper, so she was a little hesitant to give us an exact comparison. Particularly with Australia where COVID-related issues mean they haven't updated their survey data for a little while. But even still, it's really, the difference is really clear. New Zealand is ahead of most other countries in terms of youth vaping with the possible exception of America, (laughs) and and they're in a league of their own, of course. So the academic research and the statistics all point to us having a world-leading youth vaping habit. Yay, New Zealand, world first. We are the land of the long, white, watermelon, strawberry cloud, and unsurprisingly, given the age of the people we're focusing on, that's having an impact in our schools. Certainly kids are coming in to high school knowing about vaping, having tried vaping or vaping regularly. This is Sheena Miller. She's the principal of Onslow College in Johnsonville. It's really interesting because I'd say that about 40% of students have got quite regular contact with it, but it'd be even higher if you're talking socially because there's definitely kids who are doing it at school regularly doing it at school, whether it's because they just happen to be with a crowd and they do it because it's cool or they're actually addicted. But there's also socially, I think it's much higher than that. I think there's lots of kids who in the weekends, as soon as they leave school, all of those things, they are vaping. And they will argue quite 
stridently that there's no health implications for them. But to Sheena and the other teachers we spoke to, there are observable implications. There are kids who excuse themselves in class to go to the bathroom to have a vape. Um, Percentage-wise, I think it's still a low percentage, but it's very high impact for those kids, really high impact for them, because that's what they're thinking about. How am I going to get out of class in this lesson to make sure that I get my hit so that I don't get caught, then come back, then I have to re-engage with the lesson, and then I'm probably thinking about how I'm going to make sure I get it in the next class. So it becomes the self-fulfilling disengagement kind of prophecy. And that's one of the biggest issues that all the teachers we spoke to told us about. Sure, they were concerned about the potential physical health issues, but it's the problems associated with addiction that are causing the day-to-day problems. We have made a connection for some of our kids around irritability and um, aggravated kind of behaviours you know, when they haven't been able to have a vape and you'll say to them, what was that about? That's, you know, that's not how you usually interact with other people. And when you unpack it, some of them will say, well, I just didn't, I couldn't organise to have my vape. So certainly we're seeing that. We are definitely seeing issues around vapes being sold, not being supplied, that causes arguments at school, Uh, kids buying vapes and working out that they are just those one-off ones that have been refilled and they're actually really not working or they're not good or whatever. So, yeah, we're seeing those sorts of behaviours seeping in. You know, so-and-so is threatening to have a fight with so-and-so. Why are you going to have a fight? I paid him X amount of money and I haven't had my vape delivered. That's the sort of thing that we're seeing on a regular basis. That also fits with Ollie's experience. If I went a day without it, I would I would cry, I would break down, and it, it's horrible. Your brain isn't sitting right. You're you're just you're almost shaking, and you're mentally you're mentally ruined until you have that sort of relief and uh, feeling of relaxation or calming down, or the or the buzz, if you want to call it that. As you can hear there, Ollie tends to play with his microphone when he's feeling a bit anxious. Sorry about that if you can hear it. One of the arguments that gets thrown around a lot is that vaping is just displacing smoking, that people who smoke are switching across and people who start, well, if it wasn't for vaping, they would have become smokers instead. If that argument is to be believed, then vaping, despite its negatives, is still a net win. As we heard earlier, smoking eventually kills over half of its long-term users. Cigarettes are pretty much the most harmful consumer product we can buy. There are still arguments taking place about the physical health implications of vaping, but it's generally accepted as less bad. The displacement argument is very convenient for the tobacco and vape industry, but is there actually any truth in it? You know, smoking became unacceptable in all sort of circles, really, and especially amongst teenagers. Kids were very much of the, why would you do that? You know, it's not a good thing to do. So does she see more students are vaping in school than there were previously smokers? Yes, I do. Especially since 
we were seeing such a reduction. You know, when I started teaching in the early 90s, part of your duty was going onto the field and you'd see the puffs of smoke down the back and you'd be walking down there to where kids were having a cigarette. And that had reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced and people didn't want to sit with people or be with people who were smoking because they'd smell of it. Kids would say to you, no, no, I don't, I'm not hanging out. I didn't hang out with her at lunchtime. She had a cigarette and I don't want to smell of it. And if I went home smelling of it, mum would think it was me anyway. You know, so there'd been a real change. And so I think what we saw was this gradual decrease. And then we saw the vaping start and it's just been like, vump, how quickly it's become the norm and socially accepted among kids to do it is really, really scary. Again, this is basically the consensus amongst the other teachers that we spoke to. They'd seen smoking rates amongst students steadily decrease as education campaigns cut through and societal attitudes towards it shifted and became less favourable. Ollie also remembers his time at school being similar. Yeah, oh absolutely. Never knew someone at my school that smoked, but vaping, if you saw the most innocent, naive 13-year-old girl, but the quiet girl, the smart, the A-plus student girl, she was vaping. Yeah, one half to three quarters of everyone vaped. This suggests to me that far from displacing smoking, vaping has actually created a whole new market. Another way to consider this is by looking at total nicotine use over time. If vaping was displacing smoking, we'd expect it to remain constant, with people who would have got their nicotine from cigarettes turning to vapes instead. If vaping was helping people to quit altogether, we might even expect to see a decrease. Professor Janet Hook at the University of Otago has put together some research on this. She specifically looked at Year 10 students, and the data is very revealing. From 2015 to 2019, Daily total nicotine use hovered at around 4%, but by 2021 that jumped up to almost 10%. That's around a 150% increase. Digging further into her research reveals the increase is entirely driven by vaping. This absolutely matches what Sheena and the other teachers have been telling us. At least in young people, we can confidently say that the growth of vaping is massively outpacing the decline in smoking. But now that we have regulated and restricted sales to over-18s, where are all these school-aged children getting vapes from? As it turns out, there are a few different ways. There are the classics. Getting a hookup from older friend or sibling, or pocketing a parent's vape when they aren't looking. You sneaky buggers. Then there's still a chunk of shops that just don't care. Since the new laws were introduced, various mystery shopping investigations have uncovered physical stores that continue to sell to minors. And then there's online sales. That's how Ollie brought his first vape. So I looked up vape, took mum's credit card, got the first vape I saw, got the first vape juice I saw, and then got it ordered to my house. There was no ID, no questions about it. And of course, one of the first things he did with his new toy was to show it off at school. Because I was just like, oh, I'm, now that I have a vape, I can let people use it, off it, and I'll be the cool kid, I'll be popular, everyone will like me. And this plan, it actually kind of played out. 
I walk into the bathroom and then I just see the swarm following me. I like a little magnet just following me into the bathroom and then I'm just like, yeah, just give it back to me or just give it back to me in class. And then just kids non after, uh, one after the other or just going into the bathroom and then I get my vape back at like three hours later and it's completely dead. This experience was very affirming for Ollie. It finally gave him the feeling of popularity and status that he'd been seeking. Oh yeah, I felt like I was the king of the school at that point. But there was one teacher Ollie had a connection with who could see what was really going on. And she was like, yeah, you know people are sort of only being around you for uh, vaping. And I said, what? And she's like, she just explained to me, have you have you ever noticed how when you have a vape, people want to be friends with you, but when you don't, they don't want to know you? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do notice that now. And once I didn't bring my vape to school that day, they just didn't want to know me. People would take my, my literal school bag and search my school bag because they wanted the vape. But Ollie wasn't ready to give up on his newfound popularity. Instead, he doubled down. I was the vape dealer. I was the one who could get you anything. I was the guy who was known for getting people vapes. It felt really good. Everyone knew who I was. I was making so much money from it, but I also that feeling of um, popularity and uh, being well well known, it never crossed my mind how serious it actually was. His system worked something like this. He took orders from people at school, gave those orders to an older friend who bought the vapes, then sold them on for a markup. For a while, they were highly successful, and Ollie made a ton of money. He even sold a range of disguised vapes, which are specifically designed to look like objects that wouldn't be out of place in a school bag or a teenager's bedroom. They're disguised as everyday items. Like, this one has a USB-C port on it, and... You can take this cap off and it shows a USB-A port as, so you can act like it's plugging into your computer. Like, you can buy a hairbrush vape. It looks like a literal hairbrush that you get from the warehouse, but you can unscrew it and there's a disposable vape in there. But eventually, despite all this concealment, he got caught and the business came crashing down around him. This, in combination with being disruptive in class partly a symptom of his nicotine withdrawals, and a few other issues, led him to being excluded at 15. And again, this isn't a problem that's unique to Ollie, or his school. All the teachers that we spoke to reported encountering informal sales networks, but they don't all share the same approach Ollie's school did. I mean, because a punitive kind of approach what we're seeing is it doesn't make a lot of difference. This is school principal Sheena Miller again. The schools that are standing kids down or telling them they can't be at school because of vaping haven't got a lower amount of vaping than the ones who are trying to do it from a health perspective. We talk all the time about schools being communities and places of relationships and places to support people. And yet, you know, when you're part of a family, it's not really socially acceptable to exclude someone from a family, is it? And yet somehow it's socially acceptable to exclude someone from school rather than there being a whole lot of resources that can be put in. So we do things that we know aren't going to solve the problem, just move the problem. 
And I feel like we've got a little bit of a tsunami coming if kids continue the way they are, if our solution to this is excluding them from schools. Yeah, I think Sheena's on the money there. Um, If you just exclude everyone, where are they going to go? I think that goes for a lot of problems in society, um, not just vaping. So keep up the good work, Sheena. So I think that's probably answered our first question. We do have a youth vaping issue. Our vaping rates are considerably higher than other comparable countries, and we are seeing the effects of that in our schools and on our young people. It feels like we've created a generation of vapors who were increasingly unlikely to ever take up smoking. And that's at least partly due to the period after the Philip Morris court case when we allowed marketing to run wild. So in a very real sense, we have created this issue for ourselves when, as we can see from the approaches taken by other countries, it was entirely avoidable. Instinctively, all of this doesn't feel great. I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way, but the second part of the question we started with is, does it matter? Well, as we've heard, it's clear that from at least some young vapors, we are seeing negative side effects of addiction and nicotine withdrawals. And that's affecting their day-to-day lives. And that seems reason enough to be concerned, right? But what about the physical health impacts? Well, as far as that's concerned, there's a broad agreement that yes, it is less bad than smoking, but that's about as far as the consensus goes on this issue. And being less bad than smoking... Well, that's a low bar. Tobacco is one of the most harmful products, consumer products that has ever been invented. Smoking kills two-thirds of long-term users. It's, there's nothing else like it. It's not an ordinary product. Vaping, well, we don't know. We just don't know. We know it's less harmful, but how less harmful? You're still taking stuff into your lungs, vapour, with a whole lot of chemicals but we just don't know so you know we didn't understand the impact of smoking for a long time did we but I do think there's more and more evidence coming out all the time especially with respiratory problems it worries me that people are hearing the messages as messages of harmlessness or safety rather than relative harm which is a very difficult concept to communicate to the general public. So where does that leave us? Well frankly it's a bit of a mixed bag. Sure vaping is less physically harmful than smoking but given we've spent so much time and energy on anti-smoking education and regulation it does seem a wee bit foolish to take such a lax approach to vaping. We've allowed marketing and big tobacco companies to set the tone, and now we're playing catch-up. There isn't exactly a right answer, because there can be public health benefits to vaping, in some very specific contexts and circumstances. But kids as young as 11 getting addicted to nicotine, especially at a time when their brains are still developing, that does seem a bit insane. As we've heard, there are great people out there doing good work in the field, but there's still a long way to go. There are more youth-focused regulations in the works too. 
The Ministry of Health released a public consultation document on just that at the start of the year. These include setting lower maximum nicotine levels in disposable vapes. Kids prefer to use disposables, and disposables, the limit in New Zealand is 50 milligrams per milliliter, and that's more than twice as high as the 20 milligrams per milliliter limit in the UK and Europe. The new proposals suggest a lower limit of 35 milligrams per milliliter. That's still 75% higher than the European rules. It also includes limiting the marketing of flavours and setting proximity restrictions so that vape stores can't be right next door to schools. I find it alarming, you know, if you walk around and you look at the places that are selling vapes, they're often very close to schools. The closer they are to a school, the less likely they are to be open on a Saturday and a Sunday. These are all measures that are supported by public health experts and teachers. If you'd like to read the consultation document or make a submission, we've put a link to it in the show notes. You know what? It might not be a very satisfying conclusion to this episode, but that's where we are. Slowly trying to feel our way out of the youth vaping epidemic and through the cloud of watermelon and candy floss that we've created for ourselves. As we wrap things up, I ask Ollie what advice he'd give to someone younger, someone in the same position as he was back in that skate park. Uh, Don't ever fall into the peer pressure. It's not cool. You're going to waste your money. And when I say waste your money, you're going to waste your money. It's going to take your social life. It's going to take your family life away like it did to mine. It's ultimately never going to be worth it because you're going to be missing out on so many opportunities. You're going to potentially have side effects from it that will affect you for a long time and it's very 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 after talking to us for well over an hour holly's connection gave up the ghost we probably should have called him back and let him finish but somehow leaving it unresolved hanging in the ether just feels right This episode of Consume This was made possible with generous support from the Ministry of Health. It was produced by Tom Rees-Smith and presented by myself, Sophie Richardson. If you want help to stop vaping, support is available via Quitline on 0800 788 788 or via text on 4006. I've also put all that information in the show notes. Mā te wā. I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.